Yes, it is the Ranting Soccer Dad podcast for January 24th, 2018. I'm your host, Bo Dewar. I'm in my basement looking at a squirrel that is running around. It, it The weather has been so weird on the East Coast. It was frigid for a while, and then um, the other day I came back from the gym in shorts and a t-shirt. You'd think I was living in Denver or something. No, I'm living in Northern Virginia. And my guest today is another um, area resident, uh, an urbanite, though. Uh, Charlie Bohm lives in D.C. and is a reporter who has been around as long as I have, if not longer. Uh, certainly has more playing experience than I have, and as he talks about. Um, in fact, I'd never heard some of these stories. They were uh, I've known him for a long time, and I'd never heard some of this, but... Um, I asked him to do an intro of himself, and I, I like to do that sometimes because I don't like to assume that I know everybody, everything about my guests, um, no matter how long I've known them. So he had some fun things to say about that, and we talked about the election, and we did get into youth soccer specifically toward the end. Of course, there's youth soccer um, thrown throughout the conversation just because it is a big part of the election. But I did want to specifically draw on his knowledge of youth soccer because he has covered a lot of youth soccer and has been involved with the sport for a long time. So I I wanted to keep this as a brief intro. I don't really have anything to rant about this week. And if I did, it would be the election, and we talk about it at great length in what you're about to hear. So enjoy. As promised, it's not just me ranting. I have a guest and a very good guest. So please enjoy this interview with Charlie Bohm. So my guest today, I would say, needs no introduction, but in this era in which we all need to prove that we are soccer people, I figure I'd give him a chance to introduce himself. So can you introduce yourself and tell us where you played, where you worked, uh, who you've written for, uh, everything like that, and demonstrate to us all that you are a soccer person. Oh, no, Bo, I'm I'm not sure. I, I definitely need an introduction. I don't think I'm to that point yet. But uh, okay. <laughs> hi, my name is Charles Bohm, and I am a uh, soccer journalist, I suppose, uh, and a uh, lifelong soccer player, um, soccer coach in my past, referee in my past, and... I think that's it. I guess the highest level I've played in uh, Division Three college soccer and in a uh, small semi-pro league in a small island nation many moons ago. A small island nation? Where where was that? <laughs> so I served in the in the Peace Corps um, when I was in my early twenties, and I served in a I was in the Peace Corps Eastern Caribbean program, and my assignment or uh, my my home country was Grenada. And so I, I did play for two, I guess it was would have been two full seasons or thereabouts in the Grenadian Premier League. That is awesome. So would would you appear on, if there had been a FIFA 18 at that point, would you appear in the transfer market? Could I have added you to my my juggernaut, my Cork City juggernaut <laughs> in the League of Ireland and, and uh, pay the transfer fee to uh, to your team in Grenada? I don't know for certain, but I find that possibility highly, highly unlikely. Um, the, uh, the 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 country has a hundred thousand people in it, and 
Um, even though soccer is definitely probably the number one sport, I think it's probably eclipsed cricket over the past couple of decades. Um, but there wasn't, uh, I don't think there were many, if any, paid uh, players in the league, although there were national teamers. Uh, so I played with uh, current and future, uh, with and against current and future Grenadian national team players. But of course, that is a uh, it's a minnow even by Concacaf standards. But I did uh, years after coming home, I I did get to to meet up with some of my old teammates uh, when they played in the Gold Cup uh, at RFK uh, several years ago. So that was kind of wild. All right, I guess that's my my brush, my closest brush with, with actually participating uh, <laughs> at the international level myself. Okay, well, I think that certainly qualifies you as a soccer person, even by the apparently raised definition of the day. Um, certainly more so than me. I think my highest level was, you know, I can claim I was at, at one point the best uh, U12 center back in Athens, Georgia, which uh, in those days <laughs> especially didn't didn't mean much. So um, well, it really just meant that I... Um, I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I would say I, I, I can understand kind of where people are coming from when they engage in these kind of uh, uh, in these queries and these conversations, and I think it's uh, totally okay to ask people what their background in the game is. Um, but there's um, there's very real risks of uh, of elitism and and um, uh, I guess what's the word I'm looking for sectarianism creeping in when we have uh, when we have such a such a chaotic scene that we're all inhabiting with, uh, with so many uh, uneven levels of, I guess, uh, uh, such a big gap, potential gap between between hype and uh, reputation and, and resume and reality. So that's my take, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah there, there's that. There's also, I think, um, some people don't seem to recognize, you know, what expertise is what. And, you know, there, I've certainly been, you know, called out a lot, you know, where I've start talking about youth development and start talking about what parents want and then people asking on Twitter, well, how many players have you developed? Um, hmm. Okay, well, I coached the, one of the kids I coached at U8 is now playing at a pretty high level in U12. I mean, <laughs> that's, it's not my job. That's, uh, you know, my, um, you know, I would turn around and ask, okay, how many annual general meeting transcripts have you had? <laughs> yeah, that, that's simply... You know, there, there are certainly, soccer is a big, broad topic. There are certainly expertises within that. And that's one of the great things about the convention is that you get to see, well, we didn't this time because you and I were in either, you were in the MLS draft and that, and that's the only reason you missed any of the, um, any of the candidate speeches. And I was in all the candidate speeches, so I saw only one traditional session. No, two. Mm-hmm. Uh, one with a guy from Germany and one with uh, that uh, Jordan Angeli and Yael Averbush and Adelaide Gay had. Uh, but you can go, you can see Laura Harvey run a session. You can go talk with Tad Ramos about coaching. Uh, so, you know, the great thing about the convention is how it brings together so much different experience. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's the fun part that we probably didn't get to partake in too much this year because we were chase around all the candidates. But uh but let's let's talk about what we learned in uh in there. And um first you can tell me if you think that I'm I'm right in this because I have gotten some pushback on this. I said in my four four two piece at the end of the three thousand words or so there was actually a concise summary of what happened in Philadelphia over the weekend or over the week. Uh I said I thought Eric Winaldo was the front runner. Uh 
do you get that sense? Uh, I, I don't know that there is a front runner. Um, I don't know if I would call him that. Um, and, and this is where, um, and I think he, I think there's certainly the perception that he has, um, he's pushed himself into the, um, I guess, into contender status um, compared to, to several of the other candidates who, who I think it's pretty clear that they have a, a very limited, very small chance to actually win. Um, and, and Eric has, I think what he's done well is staked out uh, a, a clear sort of identity as, as his, his mindset, his philosophy and his support. Um, he differentiated himself from the field, that's for certain. But I'm, I'm leery of calling anyone a front runner given how little, relatively little we know about the, um, the, the actual uh, electorate compared to, you know, wider perception, I guess the general, uh, community, soccer community's perception. So there's, there's real risks there, but, um, I, I would, I would rank Eric, uh, along with, um, with Kyle Martino and Kathy Carter and Carlos Cadero as the, the four that I think have a, have a chance to win, have a real chance to win. And, and the others are, are, I would consider outsiders, even though I certainly wouldn't rule, uh, rule them out at this point. I think, I think we have a kind of a, uh, a, a leading pack of four at the moment. I think certainly those are the four who draw the most enthusiasm. Um, but what's been pointed out to me since the uh, convention is that at least three of those have pretty considerable negatives as well. And so there will be a considerable number of people who will take an anyone but Carter approach or an anyone but uh, Winalda, perhaps an anyone but Cordero. I, yeah, I think I that's fair. Anyone, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't think there's anyone but Martino, and surely not anyone but Gans or anyone but, but Winograd. The question is whether they will uh, sort of stand. It's tough for them to stand out in this field of, of eight people. So it it seems like almost anything can happen because you could say, well, the anyone but Carter, the anyone but Win, but Winalda people, assuming they prevent either Carter or Winalda getting to fifty percent, will eventually have to line up behind somebody else and I cannot for the life of me figure out who it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've I've spoken to most but not all all of the candidates or um, maybe somewhere on half of the candidates, I guess, um, on background um, at in Philadelphia or or over the phone previously. And um, unfortunately, I've had one or two that have uh, that have uh, have not, um, I guess, acceded to that request um, to talk on background. I'm Mm -hmm. trying to get the candidates' perspectives on um, what they think the sort of sort of map to victory looks like, or how the actual vote, voting process will play out. And uh, one candidate told me that they actually are under the impression that there's some conversations going on in, within the board or within the federation right now to sort of um, add facets to the to the actual voting process that, that aren't in it now, in order to provide an opportunity for kind of horse trading. For example, um, my understanding is that the uh, the voting process will continue ad infinitum throughout the night until someone gets to 50 plus one. So there's not necessarily a specific explicit process by which candidates are winnowed out. There's no runoff feature um, in the election process as, as it stands. And there's just there's very little modern precedent for anything like what we have now. And that, that, that there's a possibility that there'll be a break built into the schedule specifically so that people can leave the room um broker, you know, alliances or, or uh, you know, any kind of politicking or whipping or however you want to describe it in order to sort of try and get to 50 plus one without it turning into some kind of uh, 
um, old style 1800s uh, smoke filled room, you know, process. <laughs> right. It's almost. Uh, I, I happened to be watching um, a rerun of uh, Drunk History last night, and it was uh, Lynn Annual uh, Miranda talking about um, Alexander Hamilton and some of the. Uh, when you realize that the the founding fathers for all the good things they did in the Constitution did not set a very good electoral process because we wound up with ties for president, <laughs> which was uh, yeah, not a good yeah. thing to do. And I think that's sort of how we we stand in, in this right now. And hopefully they will uh, – hopefully the next president in the 2019 annual general meeting will be leading a vote on revising the bylaws to make sure that all this is more explicit uh, down the road. But um, – so let, let's shift from sort of the horse race angle of it and actually talk about uh, any of the candidates. What, did anyone surprise – I mean, you've had contact with these candidates, and, of course, you've – you know, like me, you've known Eric Winalda for years. You've, uh, you've certainly – you're familiar with, you know, Calgary and Solo and um, probably Carter uh, to at least to some extent. Um, what surprised you in what you saw in Philadelphia? Uh Interesting. Um, I can't say I heard too many policy um, positions uh, that surprised me, although Kathy Carter's um, independent commission, um, uh, I guess, proposal um, was registered, you know, not not sort of at the morning, I think it was the morning of her appearance or the, one of the one of the days during the convention. Um, and I thought Just the, the night before it was it was leaked out. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I didn't think that was um, a good surprise, I guess, or a good uh, uh, news hook uh, for her. I, I think it reinforced the negatives, the negative perceptions of her and her her mindset and her, her candidacy. Uh, right. And I would say um, I, I, I was I was mildly surprised, maybe at the extent of, but but not shocked uh, at the extent of numerical in, in interest and or support in Winalda. I think he drew the biggest crowd. Uh, of any of the one-on-ones uh, that I that I attended. Now, maybe you know you, you could tell me if Hope had had a bigger crowd. That certainly seems possible. I think because there's at least some Hope people perceived. Yeah, she's perceived as yeah. a celebrity or a celebrity candidate. Right. And so you know maybe that inflated her numbers a little bit. Um, but you know there's no there's really I, I don't see anyone as having uh, a clear path to 50 plus one. Um, so Carter has the strongest base, has a built-in base uh, of the most or, or or nearly all of the professional vote. Um, at least, again, that's this is the, the general perception and conventional wisdom. Uh, Winalda has a little bit of a base in terms of by, by virtue of being the insurgent candidate, the one who's the most explicitly anti-establishment, um, who's standing up for um, certain issues most explicitly that that have a built-in base of support. But it's not necessarily a majority in, in, in any case there. And I've had several people, um, pretty smart, connected people, tell me that they don't see a way that he gets to 50 plus one. Um, you know, he, he has a ceiling, um, even though he may have a floor as well. And but, but I've also heard something similar said about about Carter, especially if Carter doesn't get to 50 plus one on the first ballot. Um, some have suggested that all hell will break loose, that that, that she'll have some some vote flight if she's not perceived as sort of inevitable. Um, so I think there's there's any number of things that could play out there, and and I'm interested to see whether Martino uh, and, and and the Martino I guess when all the alliance that's been mooted, um, which may be the, those reports in the media may be the product more of one of those candidates than the other, um, 
I'm, I'm not certain, but there's there's potential there. Uh, and it's quite possible that someone like Gans or Wannegrad could wind up being sort of a kingmaker who can't win it, but can that can build the uh, be sort of put the put an alliance over the top to to crown a winner. Right, and I went into the weekend thinking that um, that that might be the case. That I, I thought Winald would be the front runner. Not, I don't think he gets fifty percent on the first ballot. Just I don't think anybody gets fifty percent on the first ballot. Um, if anybody did, it would be Carter. Um, but again, I think whatever Carter gets on the first ballot is her ceiling, um, because I was thinking, well, okay, then all the other candidates will probably line up behind whoever got the highest vote, and that would probably be, be Winalda. But what I'm hearing is that you know Winalda may have a ceiling as well, um, because yeah, it, it's it's a difficult thing to run as as an insurgent, and yeah, he he goes back and forth on this. I mean, you can he'll make one statement that seems like he's about to tear everything down, and then he will quite literally say, I'm not going to tear everything down. He'll say that the <laughs> U.S. is in violation of uh, 13 FIFA statutes and bylaws, which uh, I I doubt because, uh, well, just because I think one of them is the so-called international calendar of playing, playing fall to spring, and if the U.S. is violating it, well, the bad news is that 3.5 billion people in the world are violating it because they don't use it in much of Asia. Uh, or if you want to look to a soccer powerhouse, Brazil doesn't use a fall to spring calendar. They have something completely different. So um, I'm not entirely sure where he's going to go with that. And then when he asks him something specific, say solidarity payments, which could be one of those 13 things, he sounds very reasonable. I mean, it's something that he wants, and certainly a lot of people would want. And he's, if you were to, if you were to just put a transcript of his answer on solidarity payments alongside a transcript of what Sunil Gulati might say on solidarity payments, they would look identical because they would both say, "Well, it's something that we want, um, but there are legal obstacles." Now, you may. When you realize who said what, you may say, oh, but I believe Winalda more than I believe Gulati. I think Winalda really will work to try to make solidarity payments come into play. So it's it's funny. It's sort of like, which Winalda are you voting for? Are you voting for the Winalda that you, that you think will be the rabble-rouser and will push really hard to uh, institute promotion relegation and so forth, uh, or are you voting for the one who's insists on a round of applause for Sunil Gulati, which he did. Um, or, yeah, it's, he, he is very reasonable, but I'm not sure his followers realize that. Well, and I, I get, I'm reminded of our uh, concept from our current political, uh, national political uh, landscape, which is this idea of a litmus test, which often gets um, used in a pejorative term. But uh, right. when we vote for someone, um, it's not, it, it, I guess the rational, fully rational, uh, left brain way to, to, to make that decision is, is the sort of cold analysis of a policy platform and a person's, um, stances and, and stated intentions once they're in office. But we don't, that's not actually the, even the, the only or even the, the dominant factor in how we cho- choose who to vote for. Um, our, our right brain gets involved and we, we want to identify with someone on a personal level. We want to know that, that, they think the way that we do, that they have the same sensibilities and morality and, and general outlook on the world that we do. Um, and that's where you get into, you know, um, 
trying to figure out where, where people stand on various issues because that then that builds a, a trust between the voter candidate that, that this person, even if we don't agree on everything, we have a, a similar worldview and I can relate to this person and thus trust them. And I think Winalda has, especially in an environment like the coaches convention, he's very good at creating that connection. The idea being, you know, I'm, I'm one of you and I'm, um, I'm a soccer person. Um, I have the same goals in mind that you do and have the same outlook towards the game. Um, even if I'm, uh, you know, not necessarily in lockstep uh, with you or your organization on, on every, uh, every topic or every decision. There are some very gifted public speakers uh, in this field, and uh, certainly Winalda is the one. I, I think Winalda is the master, but Martino also is very good at it, even though without a moderator in his session, I thought uh, his, his answers went on and on and on. Um, yeah, multiple was, people mentioned yeah. that exact same thing, and I, it, was a, it was even sort of an audible, um, I guess, uh, sort of a, a few ruffles through the audience. Uh, where he, you know, he, he didn't have someone necessarily to kind of uh, tether tether himself to, um, and I, you're right. I hadn't considered it in the concept of the absence of a moderator, but that probably was the dominant factor that might have kept him on point. It was more of a conversation than a public address. Right, and and he and Paul Calajuri were the only two who went without uh, moderators. Although uh, the person who was moderating Hope Solo's session, I'm not sure, qualifies a moderator. It was a uh, a starstruck high school coach from Montana um, who <laughs> uh, made made no secret at, at, at times was making it about himself and how awesome it is that he's on stage next to Hope Solo, which was not it, it didn't do himself any favors. It didn't do Solo any favors, and then. Of course, the, the thing to bear in mind with the solo and the Winalda sessions, and they were the best attended uh, by far. Those two were were quite well attended. And then uh, Martino and Caligiuri being the other athletes got decent crowds as well. Gans was up against the MLS draft. That was There were very few people in there for that. Um, not that many for Winograd. Not that many for Carter, uh, which surprised me a little bit. In fact, I think it was Paul Kennedy. I think, I think that was a session which Paul Kennedy tweeted – there are about 50 people in this room, and I know 45 of them um, mm-hmm. because they were journalists or, in some cases, I mean, uh, Sunil himself was there. Uh, Eric Stover from the Cosmos was there. Uh, there were, you know, how many voters were actually in that room? But you could ask the same question about the um, the solo Winalda forums because in each one, in a different context, it was asked, how many of you have heard of Soccer United Marketing? And I've mentioned this, Brian Strauss mentioned this on his podcast with Grant Wall, too. They were flabbergasted that very few people even knew what Fox United Marketing was. And that, and, you know, perhaps it's because, you know, we're in Twitter, which as, you know, as open as it is, tends to be an echo chamber where everyone knows Fox United Marketing and most people hate it. And here you have people (laughs) who don't know what it is. And I think if you're a voter, if you've been to an annual general meeting before, you know what Sorry United Marketing is. So that that says to me, I, Solo's host seemed convinced that that was a sign that, oh, see, that this just how U.S. soccer is so opaque. And I thought, no, it's a sign that most of the people in this room don't have a vote. As opposed to the forum, the U.S. soccer, U.S. youth soccer forum, where the center of the room was basically reserved for uh, state representatives. I just got everyone in there. Uh, you look at their credential, and it was, you know, such and such youth soccer association. 
So those were voters. I would actually say that Carter, in the times that I, I've watched her speak um, and, and, in, and reading her words in print to, to, to various journalists, um, answering questions and questionnaires and that sort of thing, I think she's at her most compelling um, when she's discussing uh, things that are close to her skill set and her background, namely some. She, she gives a really good, plain, plain fairly uh, um, widely understandable explanation of how some was born and what it is and what it does. Um, and she, she makes a good case for some being a, having some value to American soccer at large for, for her candidacy. Uh, it's almost like, right. uh, you know, it's a great example. I, maybe I'm, uh, maybe this is a questionable metaphor, but, um, some is a, is a, a fearsome creation. Um, maybe it's a, a very worthy guard dog. Um, but it's one that you need to keep on a leash and uh, and well trained and and well restrained. So uh, I trust, I absolutely trust, would trust Kathy Carter in a in an administrative job related to that, or even maybe in a Dan Flynn sort of job as a full time federation employee whose job is to raise money and handle money and uh, and handle business affairs and you know certain marketing areas, but not necessarily uh, the federation president's job. That's that's a different job with a different set of qualifications and, and duties and and uh, requirements. Sure. It, it, we've heard it. Uh, there was, was the accusation uh, Merritt Paulson raised about the Hope Solo campaign, saying that it was simply a PR stunt. Uh, I've had conversations with people who say, well, that's harsh, but um, this is. And, and we should bear in mind, there's no indication whatsoever that she has a chance. Um, you know, no one I've talked to uh, considers her a, a viable contender. Um, and that includes people, that includes people with votes. Um, but, you know, she has demonstrated at times that, you know, look, she has a serious grasp of the issues. And so it is, in a sense, rehabilitating her image a bit. It, you know, she is coming across, uh, as someone who understands, uh, U.S. soccer issues and, uh, is a voice, uh, you know, with a unique voice, a unique story, you know, with having, where ODP was her lifeline, and without it, she might have never been able to play. Uh, you know, that's interesting. So with Carter, it may be that she doesn't win the presidency, but she re- rehabilitates the image of Soccer United marketing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great example of, of what you mentioned with, with Eric, for example. Um, even if you're the sort of burn-it-down, um, blow-up-the-system candidate, I have a feeling uh, when you get into power and, and – uh, uh, experience up close, just what the financials look like, just what the before and after picture is. Let's say on some, you, you might be hard pressed to, to blow that up, even if you were extremely ideologically inclined to do so, uh, because there's financial realities. Um, I think all the time of, uh, of Obama promising to close Guantanamo Bay, that was a, a ideologically compelling, uh, very moral stance to take and a very popular one, and it proved much more difficult in practice. That's true, and. It- and that's why I think I've been as as obsessive as, I, as I've been with this election and doing perhaps way more reporting on it than I should. Um, to some extent, it's not the end of the world, no matter how it, it turns out. And that's what I've been trying to point out to people that, you know, look, if you elect Winalda, that doesn't mean you're going to have promotion and relegation any sooner than you would without him. Uh, and it's not the end of the world, you know, Kathy Carter's elected. And I think, though, there is 
change coming no matter who wins simply because, well, first of all, we know that whoever wins this is not going to be going in with uh, Sunil Gulati's vote total, which was 100%. It was 100% in 2014 and in 2010 and in 2006. And before that, the vote total for Dr. Dr. Bob was two, was 100% in 2002. So, I mean, these conversations are in play now, and promotion relegation is in play. Solidarity payment conversation, I think, was already in play. And what else? What's my three... Uh, the idea of perhaps building up ODP and perhaps de-emphasizing the development academy a little bit. I think that's in play. So we are seeing some things that it, it's hard to tell. I mean, a lot of the candidates are saying the same thing, and it's hard to tell who would really be most effective about making it happen. Well, again, though, the, uh, uh, you know, people have, uh, you, you wander into very precarious territory when you, when you start comparing this too explicitly to the, the last year's or the 2016 presidential election. And, and while, so I, right, saying that as I wander into this minefield, uh, there are pr- parallels, I think, in certain areas. And one of them is this, this concept of, um, uh, you know, outsiders, um, making promises, making pledges and, and, you know, talking about real sweeping change. I guess you could say 2008 had a little bit of that element as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea that Ronaldo, for example, wants to upset the apple cart, and if you if you believe that the apples are rotten, that certainly has has some compelling uh, uh, elements for you. Um, now, you know, we see right now Donald Trump has promised to, to upset a few apple carts, and he's he's done so in a few cases. But there's also some very sort of doctrinaire. Uh, policies and stances that have been that have been adopted and and some things he promised um, grandly that have not happened and probably aren't unlikely to happen. And of course, as we've seen in the media, there's generally speaking among his political base, there's very little uh, regret or recidivism or anything like that because um, it's again it's more than a than a mental and policy uh, connection that you make with someone that you that you throw your support behind and that you come to believe in. And so I think people uh, these conversations will continue because. Um, you know, we're turning a, ver- a very large tanker uh, ship here, and, and it, it takes time. And, and there's always a reason why things don't happen, right? Um, Jurgen Klinsmann espoused some of the same ideas that uh, that Eric Winalda has espoused, and, and was in a you would could argue had at least a bully pulpit, both pulpit, excuse me, and 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 at the most uh, a very real um, share of power within the federation to implement some of these things, and, and had very mixed results, but. The conversation remains um, in sort of the general ideological terms that he he tried and the system uh, you know conspired against him. So, so I think we'll we'll continue to have these discussions, and that's probably a good thing on balance. I, I think it's unlikely we'll have a uh, an uncontested election again in this position anytime soon. So, uh, so that that's that's one positive we can take away from it. I think no matter who wins next month, right? And and we should point out that. Really, the U.S. soccer president has less power within U.S. soccer than the president of the United States has within the United States because there are very few cases in which the U.S. soccer president has the equivalent of what you would call an executive order. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's not too much the president can do on its own. Now, there are legitimate questions about whether the board or the membership served as an effective check or balance against what Sunil Gulati wanted, I think down I, I think that's changed forever now. I, or at least for the near for the near term. I don't think any president 
will be able to look at the board as a rubber stamp uh, down the road simply because too much has been unleashed uh, in in this process, and that that has to be a good thing. There's something ironic about hearing so many candidates uh, criticize Gulati and his management style and his his approach to governance and leadership, um, because when they criticize his management style, they are in the, they, they are uh, I guess implicitly or maybe even explicitly downgrading their own importance in the overall process. Because if you want to want to take a make a sea change from the way Gulati ran the federation, you will be a much less powerful president. <laughs> you will be uh, you'll be delegating more. You'll be deciding less. You'll be you'll be diminishing your power as well as that of the office, um, whether implicitly or explicitly. So whatever happens in Orlando, the the sun will rise over Disney World the next day, and um, I won't be there to see it. I'm more worried about this dragging out to about a hundred ballots and then missing my plane flight home Saturday night. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, yeah, you know, that's I'm from I'm putting the head down there myself, and uh, uh, I'm I'm very uh, doubtful about when I'm supposed to get there and when I'm supposed to leave. What, what makes sense? Because uh, uh, because there's it, it's unclear exactly when this election is going to be won. Some of us had the idea coming into the convention in Philly that this was going to be the sort of equivalent of a nominating convention where where the one or two you know the, the front runners of the eventual winner would would uh, uh, distinguish themselves. And I don't think we have a ton more clarity about how the vote's actually going to unfold now than we did a week or two ago. No, we don't. Well, in part of it's because um, every state representative I talked with in there said, well, I'm taking all this information back to my board, and then we're going to decide. So it was, um, in a sense, it was that important in the sense that this will, Philadelphia will probably be the last data point collected for most of these states, which which makes me wonder why. And, and as we record this, Eric Winalda has not yet released the grand plan that he told Jason Davis yesterday he would release today, uh, which is odd timing because it it may be too late. It could be that some of these states, you know, got together Sunday night after the convention and said, okay, we're going with so-and-so. So I, I don't think it's a good idea to with that one, but you're right. It didn't. Nothing clear came out of this, and um, for all the talk of transparency, the the state associations don't have to tell us anything. Most of them aren't. And if there are any backroom deals going on, you know, if three candidates are are all pledging, okay, whoever gets the most votes on the first ballot will line up behind you. We're not going to know that. So right. Um, so the, the other big factor here is the in my in my view the um there's a term I learned back at, uh in a past life uh, when I worked in communications and PR for for labor unions and we had a phrase pale sale and male um in terms of the you know the the demographics of old line uh unions and uh and I, there's there's definitely a, I, I get the sense that the, the voting electorate in this in this presidential race trends a lot more pale, stale, and male than maybe the soccer demographic in general in this country or those who are interested on the outside. And in that regard, for example, Kyle Martino is a kid. I mean, he's not one to me. He's, he's, he's a, we are age cohorts, I guess, in general terms. And, uh, to me, he's, he's done plenty enough to, to, to have the requisite experience. But when he, he and Juanalda are competing for some of the same votes and, and, uh, Juanalda wins there simply by virtue of being older and by virtue, mm-hmm. because he's older, he's had more, 
um, post-soccer career experience. Uh, and that experience thing really matters to these voters. And uh, I think uh, in that regards, um, Martino helped blunt some of those negatives by releasing such a specific, detailed plan and having it hard copies of it ready to hand out at the convention whenever he appeared. Um, whereas Winalda, uh, who's been generally, I think, very disciplined and has very much um, contrasted the perception of him with a very measured statesmanlike sort of uh, posture um, in this campaign. But I think he, he um, did himself no favors by not having something so, so specific and sober as a, uh, as a, as a hard, hard and fast plan by this stage in the race. Um, because, you know, again, these these are people who who uh, who call uh, a lot of these voters, let's just say, are of an age and a, and a mindset where Kathy Carter is a girl. Right. As uh, as Sal Rapalia <laughs> so famously said, and Kyle Martino is a kid uh, and Eric Winalda is maybe just just barely old enough to, to, to qualify as a as a proper grown up. Right. And and. And it's, it's worth mentioning, I, I've heard from many people that Winalda did himself no favors in the forum when he came out and his opening statement said, okay, the gloves come off, I'm going to, you know, drop some truth bombs on you now and, uh, and I'm going to give you serious proposals, which, you know, no one else has done. And then he did none of those three while Kyle Martino is handing out a book full of ideas some good, some not so good, some uh, really off the wall, but they're there. And in, in fact, he even has a plan to take the U.S. to promotion relegation. I, I think it, I think it falls apart under scrutiny. But he wrote a plan, and Eric Winalda has no such plan, at least as of you know 11:45 on Wednesday morning. Uh, well, we can't wrap this up without talking about youth soccer because uh you and I have both covered that for soccer wire and so you are uh you understand the issues of the development academy and uh probably more than me about ODP and why it's had such a negative impression over the years and how stunning it is to see it brought up by well all these athletes who say it was wonderful for them and all these other people who say it, we can use that to fill in the gaps where the development academy can't reach. So are are you optimistic that out of all this, we're going to see some real change for the better uh, in youth soccer? Hmm. I guess I would, I am very cautiously optimistic. It was pretty surreal and not altogether nice to see uh, so much love for, for ODP um, because, yeah, in, in principle, um, ODP, which has suffered, um, has dwindled the most in relevance and scope, um, you know, in the era of the DA. Um, in principle, there's something to be said for that, but the reality of ODP was so different from what even Hope was saying. I mean, Hope, Hope was a winner, I guess, but um, there's a reason there were no uh, candidates of color up there on the stage, right? I mean, that, that's a big problem mm-hmm. we have in the sport as a whole. Um, and ODP was a fundamentally a, uh, it was the, the, t- the peak of the pay-to-play pyramid at its worst, uh, where the, uh, you know, you had to be, um, you had to be selected by a process that was, you know, not a diverse, um, I guess, demographic of, of, um, of decision makers in terms of technical side of, of players. And then an access was a, was a challenge and money was usually involved. And the more you pay, played, the more you paid in the ODP system because um, every call up or every promotion through that system involved another trip, um, another set of expenses. And that was very, and it was very rarely, was the federation or any other powerful group um, 
you know, offering to, to, to lessen the financial burden. So, uh, yeah, you know, ODP may make a comeback, but it's going to be a very expensive process if it's going to fulfill the promise that was, uh, uh, bestowed upon it by, by the members of the, the race, uh, in Philly while also, um, being, uh, an appropriate ODP for the modern era. So, uh, you know, competition alone would be good. I think that the DA is, the Federation has flexed its muscle and has forced that sort of the DA, uh, first on the boys side and now they are directly assaulting, you know, uh, established, um, sort of pyramid topper, uh, in elite youth in the form of ECNL. And so the, in, in doing so, the Federation has given itself a lot of power and has had some good. It's, it's fixed some of those, or at least addressed, I should say, some of those problems with ODP. But there's not much competition. There's sort of an iron fist um, with which it's ruled. And, and in that regard, personalities do matter, I think. For example, um, even if even if a new president doesn't change any of the strictures on paper and the systems uh, and the, the, pro, the infrastructure of the of development, Bringing, if let's say they clean house and make a significant staff changes, if you have someone new uh, overseeing the the, uh, the the development academy's system with a different mindset from those who currently run it, you might see a very different product. You might see a different set of relationships and, and sort of different political landscape because, um, and as we've seen in, in other contexts with the Jonathan Gonzalez issue that continues to rumble on, there's a well-established and I think deserving perception that the federation is uh, is an, an arrogant isolated, um, privileged sort of culture, both within Soccer House and the networks that Soccer House has created. Uh, so th- that's definitely something to watch as well. Real change would mean new people with new ideas and, and a, a, a much more enterprising and, and diverse uh, and wide scope approach to, to, ha- to who's hired and who runs things and how they go about it. Well, perhaps it's appropriate then that the uh... – the one candidate of color in the race, who is uh, Carlos Cordero, is the one who floated the idea in the candidate's forum of making ODP free. Um, yeah, I don't see how that, it fulfilled the, the the full promise in the modern era that that we're talking about it with um, that can do what people say it can do with, without being free or or nearly free. Right. So, well, it's but it's it's. Interesting and perhaps good to see all this on the table. Uh, to wrap up, can you um, can you plug away? Tell us where you're writing now, where we can find your <laughs> find your work, uh, where you're covering, you know, for whom you're covering the election and so forth. Sure. So uh, I'm uh, still fundamentally a freelancer, but I think most of my work on this topic is going to be on four four two USA or MLSsoccer.com or ussoccerplayers.com um, and then uh, we'll see uh soccerwire may have some uh, may have some coverage coming online as well but uh that that's a little bit more up in the air at present but but we'll certainly certainly spread the word and uh and and of course everybody should be uh should be following your work closely Bo, because I don't think anybody has uh logged as many hours and and uh pounded <laughs> as much shoe leather and and crunched as much data as you have in this process so far and so uh, tribute to you on that well thanks I, I my watch did tell me that i tripled my step goal on thursday at the convention so i guess that's a good <laughs> thing uh i'm not sure the rest of it's a good thing but i am getting my steps in so i appreciate that and you were on twitter at c-b-o-e-h-m correct that is right perfect on the first shot that is right all right good all right, thanks so much for joining us today, and uh, I will—I guess I will see you in Orlando. Sounds good, thanks, Bill. 
So thanks for listening, and I don't know if we'll have another podcast before the election. I hope so. I've reached out to a couple of guests. But then again, maybe we'll talk about something entirely different. But thanks for listening this week. Please do subscribe. Check out the blog, rantingsoccerdad.com. And I will talk to you later. Thank you.